The OnPulse podcast is produced by Abacus Data in partnership with Summa Strategies and Spark Advocacy. The show is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, so make sure to subscribe for the latest updates. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the sixth episode of the On Pulse podcast. Uh, are we at six? <laughs> six. Uh, that's a lot so far. Thanks for tuning in. Always happy to have listeners, especially when that's listeners plural. My name is Ihor Kubavich, head of operations at Abacus Data and research lead for On Pulse. On Pulse is a research collaboration between the polling company and partner agencies, SUMA Strategies and Spark Advocacy. It's built up around a tracking survey we've launched about the Ontario election, where we take a deep dive into some of the dynamics of how the public is reacting to the 2018 campaign. You can find out more about that and posts on our latest polling and analysis at www.onpulse.ca. We have something neat and uh, actually slightly unusual today, uh, a guest without any financial or professional relationship with Abacus Data. He has, believe it or not, come here out of a sense of kindness and complete free will. Today, we are joined by Dennis Matthews, Vice President Marketing and Communications at Enterprise Canada. He has served as an advertising and marketing advisor in the Prime Minister's office, held a senior strategic communications role at a federal party leader's office, and been involved in numerous election campaigns across the country. In other words, uh, a real pro. Before we get started, Dennis is a longtime Tory strategist and an advisor to the Ford campaign. This makes him both a great guest, uh, but also at least modestly interested in the outcome of the election. With all that uh, out of the way, welcome, Dennis. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you uh, very much for having me. I'm I'm really glad to be on here. And and just a a quick note to say thank you for doing this podcast and and delving a little deeper. Uh, I consider myself a student of politics first and, and foremost, and it's refreshing to see Canadian campaigns actually getting a little bit deeper. I think all too often you see this kind of coverage and analysis of U.S. campaigns, and we've got a lot of cool stuff happening in Canada and, and here in Ontario, and it's really great to be talking about it. I really appreciate that, Dennis. So because of your experience set, um, today I want to focus less on kind of the, the day-to-day of the campaign or recent events, though we will touch on those, and focus on the big picture of ad creation, uh, hoping you could specifically walk us through kind of the, the, the big picture process. You're putting together a political ad. Uh, tell me about how that sausage is thrown together. Pay me a portrait from, from concept to team to execution, targeting tactics. Uh, what's the sort of step one of, of coming up and executing an effective ad strategy? Sure. Well, I think the first thing to understand, and this is taking a bit of a step back, but it, in Canada, there's a very small number of, of political campaigns. You know, we're not like 
uh, well, use, use the U.S. as an example here. You know, we're not like the U.S. and there's a, a constant campaign cycle every two years having congressional and, and governor races and, and others. Right. So you don't have campaigns all that often. And, and what that means is there's actually a very small number of people in Canada who have an expertise in, in doing this. There's there's not, you know, a dozen or, or, or more agencies in, in Ottawa who are focused on making political ads and are sort of guns for hire. There, there's very little of that in, in, in Canada. And because of that, it, it's a bit of a challenge for political parties to actually sort of engage an advertising agency in a traditional process because there just aren't that many specialists out there. And you know, so because of that, there's sort of two paths that political parties tend to take. And, and one is uh, working with an agency in, in particular and, and creating or creating some sort of virtual agency where there's a, a few that partner together and, and work on advertising concepts and, and execution. Or, or what a lot of campaigns do is they largely do it in-house themselves with their own sort of creative idea thinking and, and a little bit of the kind of expertise that would, would come along with that. But, um, you know, if you want to get into the sort of the, you know, the sausage making of it, um, when you look at, at, at advertising, the first thing to understand is that campaign advertising isn't a standalone item of, of any winning campaign. Your advertising is an extension of your strategy. It's a core part of the message you're trying to project to, to the public. And it really needs to be integrated with, with every single thing you do from where your leader is, is traveling to things people are saying in media interviews to stuff that candidates are knocking on the door with. It all has to be truly aligned in order to be in order to be effective. When you get into actually making advertising, you know, there's a few steps that, that every campaign will go to. You know, first and foremost is research. You know, understanding, and this is, I know, with, with Abacus Data and, and the partnership you have with this podcast is something you guys would be very, obviously, you know, close to, but First, is, you know, understanding who are the demographics of, of your potential target voters. What are the issues that motivate these folks? What do they think about the different uh, the different candidates? Uh, you know, the, the next step is is really getting into analyzing your own campaign and, and your own messaging. And in the marketing world, we like to talk about a SWOT analysis, and, and that's actually just an, an acronym for looking at your your strengths, your weaknesses, the opportunities, the the threats that, that you face out there, and really. You know, breaking that down for your for your campaign, understanding you know what are your opponents going to say about you, and, and what do you want to say about your opponents, and what are your strengths, and and what are your weaknesses, and then you really get into sort of designing a narrative and a, a story that you want to tell as a as a campaign sort of overall, and then finally you're really getting into okay, well what does that mean when you're actually executing a, a commercial, and whether that's on radio, TV, or or online or, or elsewhere, but what is the all of those steps are a feel the creative process that would make an actual ad that somebody would see. Right. So let's zero into kind of perhaps the more interesting aspect of of all that, which is the, the, the you know notion of ad effectiveness. What makes an ad truly effective um, in a political sense? I mean, obviously, you want to have a certain type of outcome, either shift or suppress voting behavior. Um, yeah. But is there any sort of kind of narrative secret sauce or, or some cohesive key ingredients that differentiates, in your view, ads that are pit particularly effective versus some that are merely okay? Sure. Yeah, I think there are two things that that are at play when when you look at ads that are that are effective, and and this is for ads about yourself or or about your opponents. And and the first is you need to be 
talking about fundamental truths, whether you're looking at yourself or, or your opponent. If you're just making things up or you're saying things that, that nobody believes or that don't pass that smell test, and it, they're never going to be effective. You need to be, and this is where research really comes in, you need to be hitting on, on fundamental truths that people believe, and you can unpack them and guide people in a certain direction, but sort of the core kernel of truth has to be there for, for it to be effective. And, and the second thing is, is what are the emotional drivers? When, when somebody's looking at, a, at an ad, how, do, how does that tug at how does that tug at their uh, you know at, at the heartstrings or how does that tug at something that feels very real for people and and if you're talking in in jargon or sort of political speak or, or other terms you're, you're never as effective as really like what does this mean for me or, or what does this mean for my country or what does this mean for my my values and and finding ways to really tug at those emotional drivers and and you know the barriers that are out there for people to uh, to vote for you or, or vote for another person like how do you sort of break those down and, and really connect with people on a on a on a level that actually gets them thinking and and, and makes them feel something more than hey this is just a uh, politician talking to me Right. And, and so you've touched on some of those fundamental truths and probably elements that haven't uh, changed much, whether or not you're advertising in in uh, 2018 or in uh, mm-hmm. the 1980s. Are there any elements that have kind of evolved in the either advertising industry or political um, advertising industry that makes uh, the process fundamentally different in some way? I think that it's less it's less creative and in terms of messaging and, and more on the on more on execution. You know, people are obviously attention spans are, are shorter today. The media world is much more crowded. I mean, we're, we're not in a world where you can buy a thirty second ad on on Monday Night Football or on a Grey's Anatomy and, and suddenly everybody sees your commercial. I mean, the, the audiences are much more fractured today. A lot of people aren't watching TV at all. You're dealing with uh, an online world that's, that's very diverse and, and audiences are sort of gravitating to things that they like and you're suddenly dealing with all these segments all over um, uh, all over society. So it's a lot harder to reach people and you've got to be shorter in your, in your messages. But um, I, I don't know that the actual construct of, of advertising has has changed from a, a selling your message perspective but i do think the the tactical execution is is dramatically different and and even in my you know relatively short 10 15 year career in, in doing this it's it's yeah, it's totally different than it was uh, uh on the first campaign that i worked right so getting back to that um conceptual, uh, you know, the, the, the creative, the content creation. Uh, you mentioned the research process, focus groups, mm-hmm. polls. Uh, can you tell me, I mean, perhaps not, uh, don't give me any, you know, rules or kind of generalities about what typically works. I'm curious to know uh, from your experience where um, the best concepts have come from uh, actual ad campaigns that you've worked on. So, you know, is it a writing room of politicals or spontaneous riffing, like a noted fantasy series, The West Wing, or is it a formal <laughs> research process, or what is what does that look yeah. like? Sure, well, a, a bit of all of the above. But you know, when you look at at, at how a good ad is pulled together, I mean, this is where a creative ad agency of, of, of folks who you know, don't work on politics normally, they don't they don't live in political circles, and, and when you give them a good brief, they tend to go away and, and see things in a, in a very sort of 
a, a more plain world than that, you know, I think political people do, and, and that's one of the advantages to the, the advertising industry overall. But, you know, when you look at, at political advertising and the research plugins and, and other pieces, I'll, you know, I'll give you a real example in, in the lead up to the, the 2011 federal election campaign. Uh, you know, we worked on a series of, uh, of ads uh, against our primary opponent, Michael Ignatius, at the time, for the Liberals. And, and we had a, a slogan that we were using sort of throughout, and this was just visiting. Such a focus on his own success, he's not in it for you or for Canada. He's just in it for himself. It's the only reason he's back. Michael Ignatieff, just visiting. And it was this, you know, this notion that Michael Ignatieff was really going to go back to the U.S. Uh, if he yeah. didn't win the election, and which he ultimately did. Turned out to but, be true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, what's what's most interesting is I think that just visiting is what's remembered as the as a tagline. But the advertising had actually switched to a slightly different one, which is you know, he didn't come back for you. And he even backed an iPod tax of up to $75. Higher spending, higher taxes, and higher prices. Ignatieff, he didn't come back for you. Which is a more personal execution, a more emotional execution of that, of that same tagline. Right. And a lot of that was driven by, by the research and people, you know, whether he was American or not, and there's a whole bunch of, you know, Canada's really got its head kind of wrapped around this weird Canada-U.S. relationship, and it's not always a, in a positive sense. But, but this notion that you know, the underlying motives weren't, weren't pure uh, were, were really what was most, most damaging to him. And, and that's an example of where you know, research looks at a concept like just visiting, and you say, well, that's, that's great. But uh, where when, you, when you test it and really talk to people, that's where we really dug deeper and found that what really bugged people was his underlying motives, and he's just doing it for, him, for himself. And you know, ultimately, like I said, he did go back to the U.S. I guess there was a sort of a fundamental truth there, which I hit on earlier. But that, that is an example where research can really play a role in, in crafting your message. Right. So what's the antidote to that sort of thing? Imagine if you were sitting on the red side of the aisle and, and you wanted to get something equally effective across that would either kind of parry or suppress that uh, that fundamental truth or or negative sentiment towards a, a leader you're defending how how would you have gone about doing that so sure, I, yeah, I think self-awareness is, is the most important aspect to that I mean you have to understand what people think about your own candidate and, and your own team and understand the license you have to work within within that world and you know you look at some campaigns and and you understand you're, you're playing with a small you know you've got a small opportunity to to convince people for for whatever reason they they're not considering you or or they've or they've written you off and it's it's sort of hard to hard to change your brand and you know this is something we dealt with with um with mr harper prime minister harper in the last election campaign i, I remember being in a in a focus group and these were swing voters and we asked people well, why you know why aren't you currently thinking of voting conservative? And you know, we had a room of 10, 12 people. Right. And we went around, and almost everybody gave a different reason. You know, for some people, it was a census. For some people, it was a tax reason. For other people, it was they didn't like something that he'd said. For other people, it was you know, just, oh, I saw a minister say something I didn't like, or this policy. And it was, you get to a point where you know, it's hard to sort of change your own brand and because you're, you know, you're, you're stuck with your record or your... Your, your time in office and people have sort of built that that brand on you but hey, again you know kind of come back to that point of, of self-awareness and understanding that you know, not everybody's going to love you unpopular people get elected all the time 
but setting up that sort of contrast where you're playing in a, in a world that will will get people to to come into your column you know even though they may have have smaller reservations uh, about you but setting up that proper contrast with your your opponent and you know I really come back to research being such a key on on that All right would you say if if you were um kind of understanding where you're coming from and your your involvement with uh, past and, and present day campaigns, if you were to um, convey, uh, you know, I'd, <laughs> we don't have to uh, delve too deeply into this, but if you were to convey some sort of fundamental truth about uh, Kathleen Wynne and some of her weaknesses, what would that be? Well, you know, I think for, for her and... This is this is going to be a tough campaign for her in the same way that it was for uh, for Stephen Harper and the Conservatives last go round. You know, when you're in office for that long, it's it's hard to change people's minds about you in a campaign because uh, people are looking at years and years of, of your record. And and you know we'll see where this campaign goes. It, it's it's far from from over. And and I know your own analysis shows that. Uh, what you know, I think when you know when they look back, regardless of the outcome, I think there's going to be a bit of an understanding here that uh, it, it's the campaigns matter, but you're 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 dealing with months and years in the lead up to to a campaign in terms of in terms of shaping people's people's opinions and and you know they had a strategy to roll out a lot of big policies and big changes near the end, but you can you can get to a point where you know people aren't trusting your motives and uh, a motive is something that you can only demonstrate over sort of a long period of time and when you come out with policies you know right before uh, for an election campaign you know people aren't necessarily looking at those with with rose colored glasses they're looking at them saying oh, well that's a great policy but are you just doing that to win my votes and right. and when they're questioning your motives it's it's really tough. So, what are your impressions on the race so far? Uh, did you watch the debate last night? Initial thoughts, takeaways? Yeah, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't love the format of the debate, and and you know, not to get too much into the weeds, but the everybody sort of standing around, and I, you know, I felt it was a, it was a little bit, a little bit awkward, and I, you know, I felt the issues were extremely Toronto focused, and you know, I'm here, I work on Bay Street, I'm, I'm in downtown Toronto, but uh, you know, I found even for me, it was a little bit. A little bit too Toronto focused. I, I think for for you know I'll say one thing about each of the candidates for for Doug Ford, he had an extremely low bar to to step over. You know I think there's a lot been said about him and and people comparing him to Trump and you know these other evil characters and he didn't come across as that and I think that was was a win for him. You know for Andrea Horvath, she had to uh, she had to shine and when she did got to speak, she 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 did. And you know she seemed very uh, bright, and and she had some good ideas, and she had some fight in her, and and you know I think people are going to take a look at her. You know, for for Kathleen, when she's it's funny, we everybody sort of looks to Doug Ford for the for the debate, and how did he do? But you know, she had a she had a lot running on this too, and you know, she still has some she still has her fight in her. Where I think the the challenge for her was I you struggle to see the difference between her and, and Andrea Horvath, and. When you're looking at a campaign where 80 percent of people want change and there's sort of two people that seem kind of the same I, I don't think that's a great a great space to be in but you know all that to say i don't think there was sort of a difference maker moment uh yesterday and and time will tell but you know kind of what there is there's sort of we're taping this today and there's there's less than 30 days left until until the elections so there's not a lot of time to change people's minds right and uh 
doesn't have to be about this uh, election, but when we're thinking about debates and, and these exercises, what uh, does a difference maker kind of look like in the context of a debate? And is it even something that we can pick up on while it's happening? Or is it something that we only kind of realize weeks later after it's been digested and spread by the media or a particular campaign? Um, going to historical precedent, can you think of any of those and uh, I guess knockout moments is the terminology thrown around that uh, might make a, a big impact on the outcome of the election. Yeah. You know, I, I think knockout moments are, they, they happen, they happen extremely rarely. I mean, you look at the, the, the Brian Mulroney and, and Turner exchange, you know, you had a choice on, uh, you, you get those kind of moments and yeah, they happen, but they're, they're quite rare. Um, what really matters is, is, you have a number of people watching, and, and I won't won't dispute that. But it's these tend to be narrative setting moments for for campaigns, and and I think the media coverage matters a little less than it has in, in previous campaigns. There's just less people watching evening news, and and we live in more of a social media driven driven world. But but they are they are sort of like milestones in a campaign when when the public kind of gets together and, and watches the the candidates for a moment, and even if it's not everybody, but. Um, it, and it, it's really, you know, did you say something that becomes a moment that can be easily clipped and shared or, you know, was there a gaffe or was there that, that sort of knockout, knockout punch? But you know, I think the thing to remember if you're a candidate and, you know, I can't imagine, you know, actually I actually looked at Doug Ford and I thought he was a little bit nervous in the, in the last debate, which was a bit of a moment of, of humility for, for him. But the thing to remember in debate is it's, it's never the question that gets you, it's, it's your answer. And, and. It, it really is, you know, are you going to say something that you really step in it and, and people focus on? But I, I'm a little skeptical whether a debate itself will be, you know, sort of a, a difference maker today, less likely than, than in the past. But, you know, if you if you really step in it in a, in a debate, it's, it's not going to help you, that's for sure. Right. And if we're thinking about an election campaign that's... Uh going to be, uh, you know, easily won or an easy dynamic for, for Doug Ford, what is the conversation going to be about at the high level? What's what's the meta narrative of the campaign that we're all going to be talking about? Sure. Look, I, I, conventional wisdom is if the if the campaign's a referendum on, on the existing, you know, sorry, if I can take a step back here, 80% of the province wants change. If this election is a referendum on Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals, it's going to be a very good night for you know for Doug Ford and the Conservatives, or and or um, uh, and or the NDP and Andrew Horvath. Right. Where I think the the you know both the challenge and the opportunity for the for Doug Ford and the Ford campaign is that this election is very much about him and that he's a larger than life figure in in Ontario and, and frankly in Canada and, and around the world. I mean the the Ford brothers are are sort of well known uh, you know well known figures for for better or for worse and. You know, I think conventional wisdom would say if, if the election's about you and you're the opposition leader, that's probably not a great thing because, you know, you don't really want the, the microscope on you. You want it on, on the government and, and their record. But, you know, all, all that said, in a, in a, in a change election uh, with, a, with a candidate like Ford who brings some excitement and, and you know, he's different, he's, he's by his very nature a contrast to, to Kathleen Wynne. You know, he is the embodiment of, of change. And I think it's really just deciding whether the public, you know, wants that much change and wants things things that different. And I, you know, I think there's polling indications that that they do. But you know, people aren't going to want chaos. They're not going to want uh, a world where you know things are returned to sort of the 
the worst days of the of the kind of the, the craziness at, at City Hall when when his brother was mayor, and and I think it's about reassuring the public that that's not going to be the case, that he has a reasonable, responsible plan, and I, you know, I think those are things he's he's doing, but in in a very good way, and you know I would I would say this to him, I mean you've got an opportunity to show the public that you know, you've got a plan that you're. Uh, you're going to be a responsible, uh, you're a responsible leader, and, and if he does that, um, you know, I really think this this election is is his to win if, if he can uh, if he can sort of walk over that bar. And we're almost out of time, but for the lightning round, uh, favorite political ad? Do you have one to share with us? Can be from the United States, can be from Canada, can be one of your own works. Favorite political ad? You know, it's funny. You're talking to an ad guy, and I'm like, wow, there's so many that I that I like. I, I struggle. You know, there's one in there's one in the U.S. Uh, it was called Ashley's Story. It ran in uh, in Ohio uh, on the Bush George W. Bush re-election. Uh, just to set the scene for you, very crowded uh, media market, Ohio battleground state. Nothing was sort of cutting through, and, and the Bush people put out this ad of of Ashley, and, and I believe it was her dad who died on on 9/11. He walked toward me and I said, Mr. President, this young lady lost her mother in the World Trade Center. He turned around and he came back and he said, I know that's hard. Are you all right? Our president took Ashley in his arms and just embraced her. And it was at that moment that we saw Ashley's eyes fill up with tears. And then George Bush came to town. It was a sort of positive, inspiring story. And in a campaign that had gone very, very dark, this ad really stood out in, in Ohio. And I've always liked it since as an example of, of a, a campaign where you know, it was a very dark campaign, very uh, lots of negative ads back and forth. But um, you know, the Bush people to this day believe that, that that ad made a difference for them. You can find it online if you Google Ashley's story. It's a great ad. That was Dennis Matthews, Vice President, Marketing and Communications at Enterprise Canada. Dennis, thanks so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. Enjoyed it.